Boom, and welcome into the Blazers Edge podcast. I am your host this time, Danny Morang, host of Blazers Outsiders on NBC Sports Northwest. Normally, I am joined by the illustrious and fabulous Terrible and Biggs. Team Mom is uh, is doing some things, and she knows this is uh, more more my joy and my wheelhouse with the off season stuff and the exit interviews and the nitty grittiness of team building. So, with that in mind, I brought in. The other guy who loves this stuff just as much as me is at Blazers Edge, Steve DeWald. Steve, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. This is definitely the most upbeat I've been after a Blazers sweep in a very long time. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> not all sweeps are created equal. It's, no. It's, uh, uh, but we are obviously recording this the day after the Blazers season has ended in the Western Conference Finals following a 4-0 sweep, a 117-115 loss in overtime at the Moda Center. Ends the Blazers season against the Warriors. And Steve, I've kind of given my thoughts on it over the last couple of days as far as, you know, what this season meant, you know, what what everything was building up to it, um, my goals, my beliefs, my expectations. So when you look at this season as a whole from beginning to end, obviously when Nurkic goes down, what what are the big like top level takeaways you've got? Well, I think you you have to feel good about Nurkic really taking that next step prior to his injury and I mean yes the the season ended terribly for him with that injury but I I think that the playoffs were was just such a cathartic experience for especially people I mean around our age where really you're the defining moment of like really my fanhood I really remember the moment that sticks out is you know the Western Conference Finals that we don't speak of and I feel like (laughs) this is this whole process was just exercising demons. And like really for the first time, I think there's this trap that Blazers fans fall into where you're just waiting for something bad to happen where there were game, I mean, games against Denver and game six and game seven, where it's just this weird feeling of like, they're going to do this. They're going to win this game. And I've just, it was just an, an excellent experience. I, I had an absolute blast in the final month and it's uh it's a season i'll never forget and just really even the warriors series ended on a sour note but you know to see myers leonard and see the the crowd embrace him and really kind of get his moment it, it was it was sweet to see even despite the losses so it's a it was definitely a a a season that I, I don't remember really enjoying. I don't think I've ever enjoyed enjoyed a season as much as I enjoyed this season. You you brought up an interesting point there, where it's like the, the 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 stark contrast between the 2000 Western Conference Finals against the Lakers and, and this series against the Warriors, in that this one, even though it was a sweep, it it didn't it didn't hurt as much. And I don't know if that's because the, it the competition was not on the same levels. I mean, listen folks, we, I, I love this team and this, this team has this year in particular has been amazing, but I, I think we for sometimes lose sight of how ridiculous the, the warriors really are, but I don't know if it, again, if it's that contrast that made it such, or it was just the fact that you knew everything that the blazers had been up against leading to it. And you're just like, there's just no way they have another story. After the after the the Thunder series and after the Nuggets series, and one thing we were talking about on the, the post game show the other night is that literally every player that was on this roster this year had a story to tell. Whether it was opening night and Nick Stauskas having that game under the national spotlights and LeBron's first game as a Laker and just embarrassing those guys, that would be kind of like the prelude to their their downfall. 
to uh, Anthony Simons in the last game in the regular season, the least likely guy to go absolutely bonkers and get Portland the three seed that kind of set up this this story tale. Nurkic has his five by five absolute masterpiece game against the Kings. Dame has a million moments through the regular season, but has a defining one against the um, the Thunder. CJ has a couple monster games throughout the regular season, but he has a game seven, you know, where he he takes over. Uh, literally up and down the roster. Ennis Cantor, he comes in, has his moments. Rodney Hood almost won the series for the Blazers. There's not a player on this roster. I mean, even Scal. Scal against the Kings balled out. And I think that the cumulative effect of that made this season, I think, much more than it, than it was even on top of its overall success and making making it to the Western Conference Finals. That it, it just it makes it feel more rewarding and at the same time less painful that they got swept does that make sense oh absolutely and i think you don't want to leave off terry stotts in this in yeah. the series season two i mean the the hot seat was real as as much as the organization might downplay it a little bit the it was real after last season they, had to, they to, had to walk paul allen back from firing him. let's, let's yeah. just for, for anybody who doesn't know like it was and, changes were coming and for him to, to come in and really, and then you you take Rodney Hood and Ennis Cantor and you pick them up at midseason and you make them crucial parts of your team and just, it's the seamless transition into the playoffs and really just a masterful job. And you can see that entire staff is getting rewarded. I mean, I hope, I hope for their own sake, you know, Vanderpool and Tibbets get a job, but I mean, I'd hate to see him leave Portland, but they've definitely earned it with with what they put together this season. Oh, a hundred percent. We've been you and I have been talking about this offline for the last couple of years. The the whole idea of Vanderpool and, and Tibbetts should be head coaches, and we th- we both of us thought that last year was the year that one of them gets it right. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was a little surprising, but this year it feels like, yeah. I mean, let, let's look at the list of guys, and I don't I don't need to talk up Olshay. Um, any more than than he does himself, <laughs> so I'm I'm not gonna do it. But he did make a point that I think um, really drives it home, and Terry Stotts backs this up as well. As far as developing guys, the culture of the Trailblazers from Terry Stotts down through his coaching tree is unmatched in the NBA. Think about the second round guys, the cast off guys who has come here and been a failure. Mm-hmm. None of them. Whether it's Alan Crabb, Jake Lehman, Pat Connaughton, Will Barton, uh, the rehab projects of Maurice Harkless, Al Farouk Aminu. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, this person's this, this person's that. They're effective NBA players. Now, they may not be in the best possible position to succeed because they have certain shortcomings. But every single one of them has come here and been, like, you know, rehabbed, bit, you know, kind of mama birding them out of the nest to be better. I mean, the, the Trailblazers have made a a a, a, a uh, history now out of rehabbing and rebuilding point guards and putting them back in the wild. I mean, just look at all of the backup point guards they've had over the last seven years. It's nuts. So, and, and, I, no, go and, ahead. Uh, I think the casting coaches out of his own, creating his own coaching tree is kind of the next step. And it's something yeah. he touched on in his exit interview today. And it's just something where it, it's always kind of funny because when does a coaching, when does a branch on a, another coach's coaching tree become a tree of its own? Like, mm-hmm. when did Bill Belichick become 
not a part of Bill Parcells' coaching tree in football, and then he all of a sudden creates his own tree in his own branch. And it's like, and I mean, Terry Stotts comes from you know George Carl worked under Carlisle, and and now I think it's he's going to I th- I could see Vanderpool and Tibbetts, and I think even Jim Moran is is another guy who's going to yes. be a coach in this league someday. And I think all three of these guys are going to really it's going to reflect the type of work and the type of culture that Terry Stotts has had from day one, him showing up in Portland. So <clears throat> we've touched on kind of how the season ended, what it meant for us, that that whole idea, the culture, the building, and, and the things that matter. Because I, I've, I've been critical of the continuation and culture and how it, while it's effective and it certainly means something, I thought it was a little bit blown out of proportion. And while I think it did come home here in, in this season, I also think it's still something to keep in keep in focus is that they added talent to this team that that's that's the main reason they got better but the culture probably got the most out of that talent Cantor wasn't playing basketball when he was in New York Rodney Hood was 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 in the dark place you know with the Cavs he just I mean the man waived his bird rights something that enables him to to get some money to be able to stay in a market like those are things that let you know that the culture here is doing well enough. So I think that's a good point to pivot to what occurred today, which is the exit interviews. First of all, we're going to focus on the guys, the, the early exit interviews before there was the break. And that's the, the mainstay guys right now, which is kind of crazy when you, when you think about Dame and CJ, sure. But then Myers, you know, Myers was the next guy or one of the early guys up on the podium, which was fitting considering he is the longest tenured blazer with Damian Lillard and, the way the season ended. So um, let's, let's, let's tackle the, the, the guards first. Um, Steve, what was your, what was your first reaction between Damon CJ's uh, exit interviews? Well, I think it's uh, CJ is kind of business as usual. I, I think you're, you're not really good. He's not really going to surprise you too much. I, I think a lot of times he's a very polished in front of the mic. I mean, I think he definitely played into and, and rightfully so the idea of, you know, sticking with this backcourt and, and seeing where it can take this team. And, <laughs> and he definitely wanted to drive that point home. I think with Dame, I, I think it was interesting to hear him kind of talk. Like my favorite part is when I can't, I don't know who asked the question about the Supermax, but it's like, all right, are you interested in the Supermax? And it's like, yeah, duh. Like I'm going <laughs> to sign the Supermax. Yo, like, yo, why wouldn't I be? Yeah. I think he was like, I'm confused by that question. And then, just some of the little things culture-wise, like you you just hear about not only Dame and CJ, but how this whole organization talks about the rookies and and some of the other guys in it on, on the roster that are further down, how they talk about just professionalism and being a good veteran and setting an example. And, you know, and even like, it, you know, it kind of touched my heart a little bit when Dame said, when he was talking about Anthony specifically saying, you know, you're going to be, when I'm on my way out, you're going to be talking to this guy every day. And it's like, it's kind of the first time you kind of see, you know, Dame approaching, you know, he's in the middle of his prime right now. And he, you know, it's there. I mean, it's a few years. Acknowledging the finality of what could be over the hill. Yeah, exactly. And I think that just really kind of makes this whole run that, that much more special. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of echo the same sentiments. The, the one thing that I thought was a little bit strange, not necessarily strange, but something I just noticed that was different from his exit interview last year. And granted, they ended it under different circumstances. Um, 
but I didn't hear Dame specifically go to bat for any of the impending free agents. So I, I didn't hear him specifically speak up on, I would, I would like to see X person back. And I think we, we can go back to last year and look at how he spoke up about Ed Davis and what he meant to that locker room. And this isn't me like trying to stir the pot or Dame wants all of these guys gone. I just think that as the team leader, as the guy that, that the organization is going to go to, I think he's he's doing the responsible thing here and leaving all the options open and not showing his cards publicly. That, that was just something that kind of caught my my ear a little bit. And like you said, CJ was very businessman-like. He just kind of took care of, of what he needed to. And yes, he backed up the, I think this backcourt can work, which I think you and I will talk about a little bit here as, as we get as we look towards the, the offseason. Uh, but overall, I thought that was pretty much spot on. Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, like, um, well, you know, what, 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 what we would expect from those guys in that moment, right? There was, there was nothing huge that came out of that. that you were like, oh, that's in, that, that's new. I mean, it's exactly what you want to want to see from from your guys on the way out. Like, I mean, it's the, this organization, this level of play starts with Damian Lillard, but CJ McCollum is just as important in in a lot of ways, and and, and the relationship that those two have are important, and just just seeing them go out, you know go out with their normal class is always nice to see. It, I mean, it is one of those things that, like you said, it's nice to see because when you look around the league, that's not always the case. All right. So let's push this over to kind of the hero of the hour. And that's Myers Leonard. Um, he, for anybody who doesn't get to see Myers regularly speaking into the media or, you know, just in general, what you saw today is basically what Myers is. Um, a really forthwith, honest, maybe to a fault dude who just loves his teammates and just wants to be loved. Um, I thought it was really, 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 really revealing as far as how he described his past two years, the anxiety he felt when he came to the gym, uh, how he didn't want to go out in public for fear of what people may or may not say about him, um, which has got to be a strange situation when you're seven foot one mm-hmm. and, you know, built like him. Like you, you can't go out because you you can't hide. Like like Dame and CJ can hide a bit. Like if you're not a avid basketball fan, those guys could could kind of blend in. Once you kind of get past them, you, you know it's it's tougher. Myers can't hide. Nurk can't hide. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So for him to discuss like all the situations that he went through to overcome the injuries and to take responsibility for you know three years ago, um, coming in you know two years ago how he had lost his teammates' respect and um, the, 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 the staff and the organization's um, trust and confidence and how he knew that that year was kind of a sunk year, that he had to, to use that year to build it up. And last year was the first year where he could start to earn some of it back and have it matter. And this was the year where he was just going to be a professional and show up and handle it. Like if you think about that, that's a like a three-year-plus cycle just to get back to where – you're okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's a hell of a thing to overcome and end the season the way he did. And excellent timing for a contract year. But right? I'm, I'm just being a cynic on that. Like, I, I think four, it's genuine. Four years. And, four, and, no? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I think you have to – the cycle and the acknowledging of how long that cycle was, it was impressive. I mean, it took a lot of planning and, you know, it's it's – awesome to see it kind of hopefully it's going to pay off hopefully this story doesn't 
end with the, the last two games that he played being the high point. And really, even before the Golden State series, there's other players that throughout the year talk about the leadership that he brings to the table on the bench. And, you know, he's always engaged. And there's not a lot of guys, especially at that price point, that are going to be bring that type of chemistry to the table and be positive influences. And, and really, he wouldn't answer the question when he was asked, you know, how does Nurkic's injury or possibly slow return impact? That's him being aware. Yeah, you're, you're being – a lot of players won't touch that. I mean, he said – I mean, he basically didn't touch it, but he did say, like, look, that's obvious. Like, I'm thinking about that. And, and really, it's something I think the Blazers – and we'll get to this, but it, it's, an, it's certainly an option the Blazers are going to seriously look at this summer and moving in and as Nurkic recovers from his injury – like Myers put a stamp on, hey, I'm here. And I mean, really, you look back to even how CJ and even Myers had a good series against the Grizzlies if you in Lamarcus's last year. But mm-hmm. CJ arrived in that and, and really kind of said, Okay, we can we can live without Wesley Matthews. Like the plane is this backcourt. And I'm not saying that Myers is to that level and we've seen that, but I it's gotta kind of plant the seed of, okay, if we need to if this is the plan, I think we can feel comfortable if you're the Blazers going out and putting Myers Leonard in a position where he's going to receive regular minutes. Yeah, and that's that's a hell of a twist, right? Yeah, considering absolutely. He, where we were, like he he played more minutes in the last two games, or just in Game Four, than he played in the previous series. And and really, like even when he wasn't scoring, like yes, the Blazers. Lot, you know, kind of fell apart in the third quarter uh, of of game four. But like Myers didn't score much in that third quarter, but his impact was just as impressive because for the first time, Golden State wasn't aggressively doubling Damian Lillard. They were, they were backing off screens. like crazy. Clay yeah, Thompson they, would, had to tag Myers every time he rolled. Well, yeah, and it's, you know, Draymond Green had to play a man on defense and not just, you know, play free safety over the mm-hmm. middle, you know, so... And that's the type of thing that's exciting for what Myers can do going forward. I mean, we've all seen glimpses, and you know we have a, we have a long history. But I, I, you have to be encouraged with how he stepped in, and even in limited roles against the Thunder. I mean, when when Cantor went down in Game Two against the Thunder, it was Myers Leonard who came in and saved that game and really yeah. protected home court. So I mean, this yes, the last two games of the Warriors was a big you know marquee marquee showing for him but really when they needed him he he performed for the blazers throughout the postseason even in small bursts and that's that's the thing that that kind of stood out to me and and i think it was some frustration for the people who may or may not support myers is that in his limited minutes everything basically tells you that he was productive and on the positive side does he drop a player too yeah yeah he does but he's also the only guy on this team that can rim roll and dunk on the Warriors' entire team and step out and hit a you know a step back three off off the bounce at seven foot one. So there's going to be some trade offs and, and kind of going back to Coach Stotts here for a second, I was happy that Stotts gave him the opportunity to play through some mistakes because in the past that certainly hasn't been there. So at least for me. And yeah, I, I'm the Myers guy. It's, it's Dan Delgado and I are, are, you know, we, and actually Dan Sheldon, basically anybody in media whose first three, na- first three letters, of their name are D a N 
<laughs> or are, are kind of like the, the co-opters of Myers Island. Um, so, I mean, at least for us, it's, it's, it's really cool just kind of to see him get that together again. Um, E.T., I, I think he just had fun in his, I mean, in a very E.T. way. I don't think he really said anything that, that was wild or crazy or caught anybody off guard. Did you catch anything? Not really. I think he just kind of set the tone for the overall mood of of how the Blazers kind of felt about the Warriors. Like, look, they're the Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was kind of a reoccurring theme. And I think, you know, Turner kind of embodied that. Um, as far as performance goes, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Turner play more small ball four yep. <laughs> in, That's, in the near future. That is the next so. evolution of Evan Turner. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's about it for Evan. There was nothing really that it, too crazy there. All right. So let's talk about the guys that may or may not be gone. So that's Al Farouk Aminu, who's a free agent as long as well as Ennis Cantor and Rodney Hood. Um, let's let's start with with Chief because I think he's the one that's uh, pretty pressing to a lot of people. He's I want to say polarizing because that's that that was like peak fan base Myers hatred. Mm-hmm. I think that was polarizing. I think this is just a a split group, perhaps, where there are people who are very much in, in Team Mom mold, who are the Aminu Appreciation Society and love him, warts and all. And there are people that would like to not see him back in a Blazers jersey. And then there's a smattering of in-between. So what, what, what are the reactions you had from, from Chief's exit interview? I, I think he definitely... It's a guy, like he said, that has been through this process before. So this is nothing new to him. Yes, he's been in Portland for the longest tenure of any team that he's been with. But he's going he's gonna to approach this as a business decision. This, is, he's, this could be one of his last real lucrative contracts that he gets, especially the brand of basketball he plays, where it's really about being athletic and versatile on defense. I mean, that's his bread and butter and that's, what's going to get him paid on his next contract, whether that be with the Blazers or someone else. Um, I, I think it, it would be tough for anybody on this team, especially who's been around it to walk away from this culture here. I mean, obviously they would like to be here is what it sounds like. And that's a general theme from all these guys. If we even um, had anybody be here recently. Who's like, I don't want to be here. And that's, that, that's gotta be promising. Yeah, and I mean, also, I, I don't know if that narrative necessarily pops up, but but I, it's definitely well, I mean, not even, been... even in the back channels, I, I haven't yeah. heard anything about guys who are unhappy about things here. Even even with somebody like Myers, who was, was frustrated with his role, but knew what he needed to do kind of to get back to it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one, there's a couple little blips on the radar, but like, I mean, the Festus Azili thing was kind of awkward. Yeah. And then I think there was probably some time where Mo might have had a little discontent with how things were going, but nothing really just blow out in the in the media or no something Eric Bledsoe the salon. I don't want to be here. Exactly, not even close. <laughs> um, but I, I just think Aminu is Aminu's postseason really kind of take detracts from what he does in the regular season and what he does night in and night out. Like that guy is a professional on the defensive end and does all the little things that Portland needs him to do to make that system work. And, and Portland's defensive improvement gradually 
I mean, obviously Nurkic plays a huge part in that, but really it, it's a lot of what Aminu can do that allows Nurkic to stay in his comfort zone. So I, I, I it's tough to pick up on vibes, but I definitely kind of, with where Zach might be going in his future and with how this postseason ended, I, I'm really not sh- I'm much less sure about Aminu's future with the Blazers than I was a month ago. Which is kind of crazy because, like, throughout all of this past year, most of the belief, 98% of it, were around uh, Aminu uh, and the idea that the Blazers, because of their financial situation, would have to bring him back. Well, now they've got this unbalanced roster. They've got, you know, 20, what, 24, 25 million, 26 million, maybe more, committed to the center position. And half of it is unsure of when it'll be available. Uh, So now the Blazers have to find a way to dance around this. And while you would like to keep that continuity, you would like to keep that familiarity. They also perhaps have more holes to cover up for, and they can't afford to have holes in other places. And from the sound of, 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 in the tone of Aminu's voice and the way he was answering things, my, my takeaway was that he wasn't resigned to the fact that he was gone, but that didn't sound like a guy who's coming back. Like certainly, like, oh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll figure it out. My I mean, agent, it, we'll, like, Ennis Cantor sounded more confident about coming back than, than Aminu. Yeah, I, I think it's that I, the or do you want to switch into Cantor now? I, because, I was going to use that as a transition okay. yeah, because Cantor's going to sound positive about everything because that man is happier than, than anyone about getting the hell out of New York. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the, the, the thing with Cantor, though, is, is Cantor's embraced every city he's gone to really outside of utah it's true (laughs) and and i really like as much as i want to believe that i really do think Cantor loves this city and loves portland and all that but i also think it's a very if i'm Cantor's agent that's exactly the type of press conference i want him to go and have Mm -hmm. and leverage a situation because you're putting pressure on Portland's front office at that point because you have a, you know, a burgeoning fan favorite who's saying all the right things about the market. And you, you're going to force you know, Neil O'Shea to do you know, Ed Davis 2.0 basically this summer if you don't find a way to bring him back. And, and granted, Cantor is going to get a lot more lucrative offers, I would assume, than what Ed Davis had. Like If, if Cantor comes back to Portland... It's because he really loves being in Portland. And, and he definitely gave off that vibe in his mm-hmm. defense. And as I was saying, I, I think he genuinely does something here that um, it's it's got to be rewarding for him to feel that love reciprocated because that wasn't exactly there in other places. Now, he was, he, he was beloved in, in Oklahoma City for the most part. Um, but with his situation with uh, Erdogan and Turkey and, and whether or not you, if, you know, the red notice or not, it clearly it's something that weighs on him at all times. Um, and the reception that they've gotten here, obviously with Ron Wyden working with people trying to get the, uh, the, uh, the the passport update so that he could travel to Canada just in case the Blazers were to face the Raptors, little things like that. And I think he just wants, he, he, he truly does want to be somewhere and winning on the flip side of this. None of the potential free agents the Blazers have on their roster are 
candidates for that TPMLE outside of perhaps Aminu, and they shouldn't be. Cantor played himself into eight to ten million dollars a year. Rodney Hood played him into probably the same margin. Seth Curry played himself into six and a half to eight million a year. Like none of these guys should be taking five point seven. These 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 aren't re- reclamation projects. They they they've been reclaimed, right? <laughs> so it's it's going to be interesting to see how this whole situation kind of plays itself out with these group of guys and as happy as Cantor sounds and, and he did and he he absolutely positively sounded thrilled about the idea of playing here but I think at the same point why piss off a of Portland you know city even if you 100% know you're not coming back and be like no nah, I'm not coming back <laughs> you know what I mean exactly so he he's playing the leverage game incredibly well here well, and also, I mean, you, you brought up the, the turkey situation, and I mean, it's well-documented. And I mean, at that point, you he really has to maximize his earning potential ding, now ding, ding, to, ding, 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 to, to really just make staying power because you're looking, he's looking at potentially being in exile for the majority of his life. So mm-hmm. he's really got to do as much as he can to, to collect as many assets as possible at this point in his career. All right. Well, we, we kind of touched on him a little bit there, but Rodney Hood. Um, from all, I can't even say it for all intents and purposes. (laughs) (laughs) Got to go to the commercial. (laughs) Dude, I can't, I can't utter that phrase without wanting to punch myself in the face. Okay. I I hated that commercial so much. Um, (laughs) but for all intents and purposes, man, he looked and sounded as genuinely happy as a guy could be after coming out of the situation that he had in Cleveland. Cause they were, the things that I heard behind the scenes weren't exactly great. They weren't to the level of what I heard when, you know, Nurkic was in Denver. Um, but they were, it was not a, it was not a good situation. So for him to come out and to be so, um, happy, supportive, um, full of life, vibrant, whatever you want to call it. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was, a, it was a, it was a nice soundbite. But also, I think there's some credence, some truth to him wanting to come back next year. What What are your thoughts? I, I think Rodney was definitely a little more forthright about the whole free agency situation than, mm-hmm. let's say, a guy like Cantor was. Like, it was very obvious that Rodney was like, look, I'm going to weigh all my options, and this is what I'm dealing with. Yes, it was great here this season, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's he's got to do what's best for him. Team get the back. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, really at the position he plays and the style he plays, if he can play like he did in the playoffs, there's going to be a team that's going to, you know, pay him handsomely to come what's, there. What's his number in your mind? I really, though, you know, those wing guys don't grow on trees. So yep. really, I, matters. I, and I think just by the market, I, I think he could be in the in the nine to ten range, really on a on a four year deal. I could see it easily being like a four year forty or a four year forty five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that, it really only it really only takes one team, and, and really, I could I would not be shocked if it's even up to fifty million. So okay, see that one would surprise me, but because like, I I kind of put the. The like a team like Portland, like the Portland premium would be if he if he let's say he had just done what he did for another team and Portland really, really liked it. Would this would this be enough? You know, like what number would it cost to get that that premium in there? And for me, 
it's like slightly over 11, like that 445 mm-hmm. with your built-in raises. But I, I did appreciate him saying, listen, man, I, I genuinely like it here. And it's not just the basketball. It's it's the people. It's the, it's the organization. It's the culture. And yeah, if they can find a way, if they, this is basically what he said. If they can find a way to make a competitive offer, I'd like to come back. That's the way I read it at least. And And I think that that's probably true, but I think, you know, I kind of, by the sounds of how I outlined my views on Cantor, I think Cantor is the more likely candidate to say, okay, this is a competitive offer this year. And, you know, the Blazers organization in general has already shown in good faith that they're, you know, they tried to get him in his restricted free agency and they've made good on this and put him, made him feel welcome at every turn. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if it comes down to, if it's in the ballpark, but less, and you know those offers are there for both Rodney and Cantor. I think Cantor does is the more likely of those two players to take that offer. I mean, granted, Portland can only offer one of those, but in a world where they could offer two, I think it would be Cantor would be the more likely candidate to take it. All right. Well, I put a kind of call to action out here real quick. We'll we'll, we'll do this, and then we'll pivot to the, the last big part of the pod here, and that's. Um, just some some listener questions from Bruce Caesar Bennett at Cease twenty five. If Aminu leaves in free agency, do we keep Mo or trade him to get more scoring? And this is kind of be the at least for me the crux of the off season. What do the Blazers do about their forwards? If anything, um, do they bring Aminu back? Is Mo on the table? Like, would it be out of this world if Portland had two new starters at the three and the four next year? So what what are your thoughts on on the question and then kind of how that whole thing I just progressed there? Well, I think I I really think if it's me judging, I would say Portland probably does not I think Rodney Hood gets an offer that he takes somewhere else and I think Cantor probably follows suit if he's wise. At that point, you really kind of have to with Aminu's bird rights and Portland can, you know, pay him a lot more than they could pay the other two as far as that's correct. Right. I want to make sure they could go over the cap to pay him. Yes. Okay. I think you're, you're basically looking at, yes, you're going to go back and resign Aminu at that point. And really with, with Mo Harkless, give me Mo Harkless in a contract year. I I will sign up for that all day. Like the, the worry is that you, you know, you make another huge offer, but and maybe you want to explore another option after the season. But as far as value for what, I mean, you've already paid for three years. You might as well get a guy who's playing for his next big contract. And really as, as unfun as it sounds, I, I could, I really could see Portland running it back with their forward rotation. Okay. You could see it happening. What do you see as the likely scenario? I think Mo's here. I think Mo, even though Mo is the most, I would say the most tradable of the expiring contracts that Portland has, I, I think he's there just because he, he is going to play at a high level. And I think he can do a lot of the things that Aminu does as far as being at the power forward. Like when Aminu was at his, or when Harkless was at his best in the postseason and even down the stretch after Nurkic went out, he was really, and I've harped on this and I've said it before, is he's kind of playing that Noah Vonley type role when Noah Vonley did have some success here in Portland where he's coming off the baseline, he's working from the post and making himself available late in the shot clock, which is super valuable 
for a Blazers offense that does a lot of stuff on the perimeter. But when that gets locked down, you know, Dame and CJ are both looking for guys and easy passes to get in and get good looks in the paint. And really, Harkless has delivered on that in in opportune moments. And I would likely, I I think you're going to see more of that going forward. As far as Aminu goes, I think the biggest thing with Aminu is, is is Zach Collins like if if this if the Blazers really embrace Collins as a four or at least four for the time being until he develops I think I think Aminu is replaceable and I think it's it's probably in Portland's best interest to give Zach those minutes in the starting lineup and really start that curve because you know we mentioned it before I mean it really looks like Lillard is headed for that supermax contract and at that point it's going to be all internal development because you're going to have no cap flexibility. So having a guy like Zach develop into, you know, a, a relatively high level starter is going to be imperative for the Blazers future success. It's a big, it's a big old case of row. If, mm-hmm. uh, if things go sideways at that position right now, because of the limited effectiveness of their cap space right now. I mean, functional and otherwise. It's just it's just not a good place right now. We're not, we're not going to beat that drum too much. Um, let's, let's go ahead and flip it over into the offseason. We're already kind of progressing there, and we'll, we'll kind of spend the last portion of the pod here. The idea that this team has to make major changes to, let's say, be more competitive in the Western Conference Finals, enough of a a threat. Like base, not necessarily. It doesn't have to be the way the uh, the Rockets were kind of viewed last year. Let's say the the way the Rockets were viewed this year. Do you think drastic changes are met? So let's just kind of start from there as the building block. I I mean, really, I mean, the Blazers could follow this Rockets game plan. If I mean, if you let a guy like Aminu leave. And some of your your more athletic forwards leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically what the Rockets did when they let Luke Mbamute leave, and really that had a drastic impact on their defense for a large portion of the season. I I don't think Portland should panic here. I I, I think I, I, there's definitely a case to let's see what this looks like when Nurkic is healthy, and this. And the rest of the team has a bunch of playoff experience under their belts now, successful playoff experience. So I, I don't think the pressure's on them to try to replicate kind of what the, what the Rockets did. Um, obviously, I think you need a little more dynamic play on the wing, but I mean, every, there's very few NBA teams that don't have that on the top of their wish list as well. And just where Portland sits from from a flexibility standpoint, it's just it's hard to imagine them really finding you know a transcendent power forward or small forward that can really make an imp- a big impact on both ends with their athleticism. Okay, the big overarching question or theme that seems to kind of be going on in the background right now was or is does this season the success of it? Does it define the Lillard McCollum era and make it so that this is them saying that this backcourt can and should and will work? Or is there still a case to be made for breaking up the backcourt and pursuing the more traditional uh, one three superstar or a bigger two guard? Uh, 
I think for the immediate future that this this run definitely validated the idea that this backcourt can take the Blazers to a very high level. And I mean, really, it, it's an it's an argument that can be made because I mean, you're in the Western Conference Finals. You had double digit leads in three of the four games against the Warriors. I mean, yes, this is super O'Shea talking points, but <laughs> but there the case is there. Now, there is another thing that was a consistent theme throughout today was there was a noticeable marketing of Anthony Simons throughout this process. Hey! And and attitude as next to Dame, what Anthony can do with his wingspan and his athleticism is the type of difference maker that you're looking at that is hard to shut down and it, on offense and defensively if he's the point if he's playing at point for long stretches and Zach, you know, turns into that center position the center that he keeps talking about there that's going to be your duo defending pick and rolls and both those guys have a ton of athleticism to switch on everything and they have the size to switch on everything at you know in the future so i love seeing ant next to damon cj because uh ant's listed at 64 and cj's listed at 64 and dane's listed at 63 I'm going to go ahead and tell you that two of those numbers aren't right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> Ant's every bit of 6'5". Mm-hmm. And it's he's, sign, you, he's still a kid, but you know what I noticed more than anything when he was on stage in his exit interview? He he looks like he's bulking up. Like he's, oh, yeah. He's getting a little bit of that grown guard body. And it's it's something where you're just like, yeah, no, I, I, I like this. This is, uh, this is nice. This is good. Right. And uh, I don't know, man, I definitely want to see more from that kid. But when when I look at this team right now, I look at the path they took. And yes, you can only play who's in front of you. But I I look at how effective CJ was against the team that, well, Gary Harris is a good defender. Um, It's not a team that offer or, you know, really throws guys at him that are the guys that usually bother him which are, you know, basically every other two guard with size, you know, in the NBA. Uh, and we saw what Clay Thompson was able to do. And this is not take away from Clay. Clay is a world-class defender and is criminal that he's not made an all-defensive team. Um, but CJ had, well, he, he shot effectively uh, when the Warriors went to lock the defense down. He, he was nowhere to be found. And I think that's something that's been a bugaboo of his. And I'm not like saying this is like this is the one that broke the camel's back. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's for me, it's the the idea that listen, like the Blazers did well, but there are still the the holes that were there before are still there. Uh the the lack of science for Portland's backcourt is still something there. But the counterpoint to that is is they did find a way to overcome what was in front of them. So you have to give that credit there too. So I, I think I've, I've moved a little bit off of the you have to break up Damon CJ to make it, uh, it, this team a more functional team. And I think that'll, that'll change one way or the other back to where I was or softer on the stance with what the Blazers do this summer because th- this summer is going to be defining for them and, and what it kind of means going forward. Um, the other part of this is so you're looking at the the big scheme stuff as far as Dame CJ your building blocks Terry Stotts getting his contract the, the the big question mark obviously is Yusuf Nurkic 
we got the update that there is no update, basically, right? Um, that there is no timeline. I've seen a lot of people ask why I, I constantly, when I say, when I reference Snurkage injury, I say um, December. And for anybody who's wondering, that's because I'm not going to give the best case estimates for a return from an injury like this. <laughs> I think that's that's a little little crazy to do. So with that in mind, are you comfortable with what you've seen from Myers Leonard, from Zach Collins, that heading into the offseason, the, the Blazers don't need to spend that $5.7 million on a big man? I, I think I would not be ecstatic if that's your two if that's your two centers going into next season that being said i i think you can go out and get a veteran center for a a vet minimum in a lot of cases a guy can come in and play 10 15 minutes or you might be able to really find it find a guy at a decent price that can come in and play that position um i it's tough to say like i I'm very encouraged about how Myers played down the stretch. And, and I really, I, I think Zach does have a future and, and he's going to be a big part of the future of the Blazers. Obviously he has a future, but, um, but I don't think he's a center. <laughs> there I, it is. I, I am firmly in the Zach Collins as a power forward until later in his career. And it's something until we proven talk, otherwise. It, it's something we talked about yeah. off uh, outside of this is, I think later in his career, he's definitely going to transition into being a center. Mm -hmm. But like right now, for what the Blazers need him to be, he should be aiming towards that power forward position. And I think it's, I mean, he even touched on a little bit. Like he said, you know, I think part of the reason the organization or what the organization values for me is that I can play a little bit of both positions. And I, I, and then he immediately follows up with, well, I like to play center. So in that argument of <laughs> they like it that I can play a little bit of both, you can see that he's probably one side and the organization might be. Like, they're like, no, nah, I'm going to need you on the other side of that, fam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so it's, yeah, it's interesting, right? Um, like, I, think, I, 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 like, I think you would agree to this. Is it, It's going to be a lot easier for Portland to find a center who can play 10 minutes a night at a decent price, then it's going to be to find an athletic wing that can play 10 minutes a night. Yes. So, I I mean, I I, kind of went through and did this already, right? Uh, I've got the uh, potential uh, restricted free agents that I made a list of. And Steve, you can attest to this. I I make lists and and charts and graphs and just randomly stuff them in the – Pleasure's Edge Slack channel quite regularly, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is not something new by any stretch of the imagination. I'm trying to pull up the right shirt here. There we go. So many open. So the list of rest- or unrestricted free agents, these are the guys the Blazers could target at the four and five. The Morai twins, Thad Young, Rudy Gay, Taj Gibson, Miritich, Tolliver, or... If you're looking for that reclamation project, Dragon Bender. Those are those are all viable guys, with the exception of of Bender and Tolliver. Um, that if you made a little bit of wiggle room in your roster, you, you could see slotting in at the four. But that's that's pretty much it, and they're probably outside of Portland's price range. The flip side of that is you've got guys like Ed Davis, Boban, the Lopez's, and Dwayne Dedman. And that's hey, Joakim Noah. 
Joakim Noah, Grizzlies. I will not acknowledge him. I don't care how good he played. Too, he's just too damn weird. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, the thing with Bender that, that I'm kind of interested in is just a familiarity that Portland probably had, or Terry Stotts probably has with him, with Jay Triano filling in on that staff for as long yeah. as he did. Like if, if there's something there, if there's a glimmer of hope, for Bender's future, you can bet Terry Stotts and this staff knows about it. Well, and here's the thing. The reason I threw him in there is one thing that was exposed in this series was the lack of playmaking outside of Damon CJ. And Nurkic helps rectify a lot of that, I think. But having a, a big wing guy, a tweener, if you were, like Bender, who could also work as a facilitator, if you've got him at the four with his length, um, I think that's something that kind of unlocks the team. The same goes true with guys like Jeff Green, Wilson Chandler, you know, guys of that nature. Um, you know, when we're talking about free agent acquisitions and all that kind of thing. Let, let's you, you've got let's say let's 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 kind of mark everything off here so we know what what the scenario is. So it's a little more fair for you. Let's say Alfred Camino doesn't come back. Neither Ennis Cantor nor um, Hood come back. You've got the TPMLE. You're confident in Myers starting at the five and Zach at the four. So you've got Dame, CJ, Moe, Zach, Myers. But you you can pick up a four here if you want. But you've got the $5.7 million MLE. Who's, who's the guy that's realistic that makes sense to take that money and it let's say Nurkic comes back and elevate this team um, – above what they got from Harkless and Aminu or Harkless or Aminu. Uh, I'd have to look at a list real quick, but I mean, I really just with how the market is, it's, it's going to be tough to, to find a guy like that. Like I think really, I mean, Portland's already expressed interest in him once and he had moments in New York is Mario Hazonja. Like I would don't don't get me wrong, that is not the most the sexiest name, but it's someone that Portland has had whoa, interest whoa. in. It's that, a sexy name. It was, I don't it's know maybe, about maybe, that. Maybe not a sexy player. <laughs> yeah, and so and, and Mario Hazonia? Like, look, 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 come on. Like, if we're if we're picking names off the shelf, Dan Morang, Steve Dewald, or Mario Hazonia? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's I a guess sexy it's name. It's the Mar <laughs> the Mario drives it home. Right, exactly. So, women love Italian plumbers, so. <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's guys on the wing get paid and it's, and <laughs> you're it's, making the point that I wanted you to make, by the way, this is perfect yeah, because yeah. anything that you really want is going to be that above the cost range. So the Blazers are going to have to Neil Ol shade themselves a grab bag again. Right. Or, I mean, you're going to have to really try to, you know, tap into some, you know, get lucky that, you know, either Reggie Bullock gets left out in the cold in LA or, and really is another guy who's, you know, it worked for Rodney Hood. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking for a the LeBron business. LeBron James. So, <laughs> but I, it's tough to say. Like, I could see, like, a guy who kind of fits the, the complete reclamation project type for Portland, it, you know, is like an Alec Burks type who, yeah. who has bounced around at several teams in the last year and a half. I might just be looking for some stability and as a guy who's shown he can create off the dribble and, you know, he's just kind of got to hone in his turnover issues, but is a, is a serviceable wing player that might be in Portland's price range. 
he, he is like quite literally the, the Rodney Hood of Rodney Hoods. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, both him and, and Hood were together in Utah and kind of had this, this profile about their game that faded and just didn't work out for him. And, and Burks had an okay season, then he just kind of disappeared, you know, with Sacramento there at the end. Um, yeah, no, I, those, those are the guys that I, that I, I find on too. And we're, again, we're talking about the old talking points of the Neil O'Shea special, which is picking guys off the, off the, you know, the, the top of the, the bin at, at Walmart. And to their credit, they, they've redeemed those guys. They've cashed those guys in every single time. And, and really just to kind of go into, into two guys I've talked about, to you especially, is people think I'm joking when I talk about Nick Stauskas, but I am not joking when I talk about Nick Stauskas coming back to Portland. Like, he, <laughs> he could be Steve Blake 2.0. Yep. Like, he knows the system. He is a fan of the culture in Portland. And, you know, it ended in a trade, but... It, really, it's a business at this point. It's not like Portland burned him. And really, the other guy I'm really interested in is watching how the uh, at the center position, watching how Orlando handles <laughs> Vucevic's free agency. Because one of the best kept secrets, in my opinion, in the NBA right now is Ken Birch, who's if Mo Bamba's healthy, is your third string center in Orlando, and he shouldn't be. He's a young center <laughs> who should be you know, the third big man or the first big man off the bench for a lot of NBA teams is a guy who I could see fit perfectly as Nurkic recovers and could fit long-term in Portland. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll end on this um, for you real quick. Um, Give us your draft primer. So, and we've talked about this. One of the frustrating things that I've kind of, and not frustrating, like I appreciate all the feedback we get. And like, no, no, you can say frustrating. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm but, not Tara. I'm not going to tell you, well, don't, no, no, that's not nice. <laughs> but Portland, Portland has to have controlled assets on their team. This yep. idea that Portland is going to, needs to trade this first round pick, like unless it's like a sweet, sweet deal where that first round pick is the, the breaker in it, which I don't think it is in this draft. Like the, they're, Portland's going to keep this pick. They need young talent. They need talent on controlled contracts. So I think Portland... You have to keeps, have young talent before you can retain them and overpay them. And I, I think Portland and Neil O'Shea has shown that he is willing to move up in the draft like they did for Zach Collins. I think just because Portland right now doesn't have a second-round pick doesn't mean they won't have one on draft night. Like this team can... Like it'll be a little different with, with Paul gone to see... If, if they spend the money to get back into the second round, but I, I think it could be there. And I mean, you're talking about a marketing dream. If you get back into the late second round and take taco fall, like please bring taco fall to Portland. Like that's my, what that's my, could be my entire draft primer, but really I think Portland, unlike last year, there's guys that fit a need for them in their draft range where they're at at pick number 25 last year, when you're looking at pick number 24, you're looking at a lot of point guards, a lot of guards, uh, positions that Portland already had a lot of. Yes, they took Anthony Simons, but Simons is such a high upside pick there. It made sense. This year, there's going to be wings on the board, and there's going to be potentially backup centers that could come in and play some spot minutes. I mean, granted, it's a very risky endeavor to play rookie big men 
uh, especially if you're a team trying to compete. But there's going to be wings that are there. There's going to be serviceable shooters on the perimeter. Three- and four-year level wings, which is yeah. something the Blazers have shown that they are in favor of you know, bringing into the fold, right? So, yeah. I mean, guys, for me to watch is, is Matisse Thibel. Yes, he doesn't shoot and isn't going to help Portland's floor spacing, but he is an absolute dynamic defender on the perimeter out of Washington, Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. Um, you have a guy like Cameron Johnson, who his ceiling is relatively low, in my opinion, because of his age. But he is a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter and would, I think, instantly take some pressure off of Portland's backcourt in certain situations if he can earn his way onto the court, which is no easy task with Terry Stotts. I mean, he <laughs> he does not like to play rookies. Um, and really, Tennessee has two veteran guys in Admiral Schofield hey. and, and Grant Williams. I mean, I know it's funny because you're you're a big Schofield guy who I like, but I <laughs> I am a Grant Williams guy despite his lack of of size and, and but he he defended Carson Edwards in space against Purdue. Yes, Tennessee lost that game, but he did the best job defensively. He is a excellent passer out of the post, which is something that Portland could have is going to need as long. They're going to need going forward. Yeah. Teams are going to continue to double Damian Lillard, and you need guys who can make decisions out of the post. So those are kind of the four guys I'm watching that are upperclassmen that I think could fit. And I wrote about this last week. Some guys who can fit on Portland's win-now timeline, and that's Matisse, Thibel, uh, Cam, Cam Johnson, and, uh, and both the guys from Tennessee, I think are guys that all kind of fit Portland's profile. And that's really what I'm looking for, and that's the coverage that you're going to see from us in the next month. And – just to be clear, not every profile that we write <laughs> is an endorsement of that player. It is this is a player that is in Portland's draft range. Steve and, really likes Bobo. Uh, <laughs> he is the toughest prospect I've had to evaluate uh, in the last five years. I have no idea where to even start with him. But it, it's just guys that are going to be there. We want to cover our bases. We want to make sure we have the best analysis possible for when the pick does come in and when these guys do visit Portland for workouts. And that's going to be crucial now because the Blazers played further into the season. The drafts moved back or moved up a little bit. Um, so there's less time for the Blazers to get these guys in the building. And Neil touched on it too. The, the landscape for these workouts has changed. Uh, yes. They agents, want to con- controlled agents definitely host more of an NFL style pro days and, and really put these guys in, a lot more controlled environments in certain situations. So Portland, I think Neil said that they're they're going to be doing a a little bit more narrow scope on who they bring into to the facility. And I think they said they're only going to do I think three or four. So. Yeah. So we we should get a pretty good idea of who they're targeting. <laughs> yeah. If, if they, I if I don't have a profile on who Portland drafts this year, it is definitely a, a huge damn fault. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you, Steve, for joining us. Not only to talk draft coverage of what's coming up, but this this kind of postseason, or I should say regular postseason overall wrap and first primer look forward to the 2019-2020 offseason. That is really weird to say out loud. Mm-hmm. We are getting old. 2020, huh? Cool. All right. Well, Steve, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you, where your work and everything else, and where your, your Venmo. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Venmo is all day. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at Steve D Hoops, and I will be 
all over Blazers Edge up until the night of the draft, and I will hopefully be bringing you a lot of coverage on draft night uh, if Portland hopefully selects someone I have scouted accurately. <laughs> Fingers crossed. All right. Well, thank you again, man, for joining us, filling uh, my usual a lot of talking spot, even though somehow I was kind of hosting and I still managed a way to talk more. Whatever. Um, well, Blazers Outsiders pre and post game show is wrapped up. Thank you, everybody who watched the show this season. Our uh, our bosses are happy with the show, so that means people were watching. So thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you, uh, you know, backing the whole idea of me getting paid for this. <laughs> Seriously, um, Dan, con- congratulations! It was it was awesome to watch you. Do thank you, man. Love and see your talent shine out there. It was uh, it was awesome to watch as a oh. friend. Thank you, man. I do appreciate that. It was an absolute blast being able to say that I was the media who covered or a part of the media that covered this team in this year and this situation in this space is something that I will never, ever, ever forget. It was truly awesome, like to, to levels I can't really describe. So um, but we are going to be back on uh for off-season coverage uh, on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. On Tuesday nights, you can catch what we're now, I think, coining Outsiders 2, T-O-O kind of deal. I don't know if they're actually doing that, but we came up with that the other day, and we liked it with uh, Alex A., Chris Burkhart, and Jake McGrady. Obviously, Joe Shane and I will still be sticking together. We do have some guests from Blazers lined up for the season, um, so that's going to be something cool to look forward to as we kind of expand and grow our coverage. Um, other than that, you can find me on social media at dmarang, at D-M-A-R-A-N-G. Please continue to submit questions comments concerns about all things blazers i I love talking this stuff through um you want to discuss something on twitter cool just make sure you guys know what the difference between a a free agent and a uh you know tradable asset is that's all i ask it's it's simple all right thanks steve for joining us uh we'll go ahead and uh, wrap it up there thanks guys all right i'm gonna hang up real quick call you back all right actually you know what